Welcome, everyone, to Los Libertinos podcast. I am your host, Carlos Avelar. Uh, this is Chingazos and Fire, episode number six. Uh, our guest today is Buck Johnson. Uh, aquí está. He's here in the flesh, in person here. Uh, Buck Johnson is a fireman by night, podcaster by day. He is the host. Uh, he, is, uh, he hosts a show called uh, Counterflow uh, uh, with Buck Johnson, and uh, we are. Um, my wife and I came over to their house, and uh, Buck and his wife uh, Brittany uh, opened their, their their home to us, and we're uh, very thankful that you uh, did that. We had a good time with you guys, and uh, thank you for coming on. Yeah, well, thanks for coming out. <laughs> uh, Podcaster by day, firefighter by night. Sometimes it switches. There you go. So, uh, salute any of you guys out there drinking and hanging out. Thank you for hanging out with us. So, uh, Buck, I like to think that half of my audience is people that uh, are into the libertarian movement or the liberty movement, and the other half is my primos, cousins, tios, no Sanchas. No. No, no, none of that, but, you know, they might, you know, you never know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Can you kind of give a, 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 a background how you got into... Uh, the the podcasting world, the liberty stuff. But if you if you don't mind, start kind of like from the bottom, how your life kind of went this way, you know? <clears throat> from the bottom, well, let's see. In the '90s, I started getting. Uh, I was I graduated high school in 1995, and that's kind of when the internet was coming into uh, its own a little bit. And so I ended up uh, searching. I don't know how, but I ended up searching about secession or something like that, and started researching secession movements in the United States and uh, was kind of interested in that. And I ended up moving to Central Texas from San Antonio in uh, 98. And uh, on the radio, I, I would hear Alex Jones on FM talk radio station back then, which is hard to imagine. I don't think they would let him do that now. But um, I would hear him and I started getting into libertarian politics kind of organically. And he had Ron Paul on quite a bit. And so my early political influences were a mixture of like secession talk, Ron Paul, Alex Jones. And uh, then I read Harry Brown's book. He was running for president in the year 2000 on the Libertarian Party ticket. And his book was called The Great Libertarian Offer. And so once I read that, I was sold. You know, he went down every every chapter was a topic and how the liberty, how libertarians uh, view, for instance, the drug war, uh, overseas wars, the income taxes in general, uh, guns and everything really just hit every topic. And I read it and I was like, well, yeah, this seems put everything together for you. Yeah. How could it how could you not agree with this? This is perfect. So um, that's kind of what got me into this stuff early on the liberty movement yeah. ron paul and stuff so yeah a yeah. lot of that a lot of what you're saying is a lot of kind of how i got into it through through ron paul stuff and uh how did you just when did you decide that you wanted to become a podcaster and and get into this this way you know like yeah that was probably i started hearing i can't really remember the early beginnings of podcast experiencing uh experience for me but i i would hear jason stapleton somehow you know i'm a I'm a big wrestling fan. That's what it was, actually. And so I started hearing Stone Cold Steve Austin's podcast and a few wrestling podcasts. And then I, I must have searched libertarian. Like I thought, well, let me check out politics. And I found Jason Stapleton uh, and Tom Woods and then Dave Smith, of course. And the more I would listen to those, I would you know, be driving around. And I thought, I bet you I could start a podcast somehow. And like maybe meet some of these people and interview them and talk to Tom Woods or all of these uh, Mises Institute uh, guys that I found fascinating that I was getting introduced to uh, through Tom's show. And so that's kind of what got the ball rolling. I, you know, you look into it and you start thinking, maybe I can do it. And then your thought, thought goes away. And then let me look at microphones and yeah. wait a second. How do you record a podcast? This actually seems like it's doable. And so I, I started it and my first one was my first interview was my second episode. And I, I thought, well, you got to have like a sound booth and all of this stuff. 
So it was done in a closet at my old house. I sat and shut the door in a closet, had all these notes and did a Skype interview with, uh, with someone. And, and that's how it got rolling. Now I cringe when I, if I were to listen to those first handful of episodes, uh, I would probably cringe. So don't, don't, don't listen to the early ones, guys. <laughs> and, uh, your 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 show now is called Counterflow, but before that it was called a Death to Tyrants. What was the the reasoning for that 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 change? Uh, well, a, a few things kind of converged all at the same time. I had been getting turned down a little bit um, by certain people that didn't maybe want to come on a show called Death to Tyrants. I didn't think it was that radical of a name, but people did, uh, and so I was thinking, I wonder if I should change the name. I don't want to be pigeonholed into just libertarian politics because uh, my thought process was expanding a bit out of just that niche. And I had interviewed Thaddeus Russell, a friend of ours, mutual friend of ours. And he said, you, for some reason, you bring the best out of me. Every time you interview me, uh, my, my girlfriend says, this is the best uh, content I hear from you, meaning him. And he said, I'm starting this podcast network. I would think, I think I want to get you on it, but I don't want it to be called Death to Tyrants. And he said, so you could do a separate show for my network. And I was like, I can't do two shows. I mean, one is a lot of work. I just put one a week out. And so I can't do two. And I'm already thinking about changing the name uh, from Death to Tyrants. And, and Thad is big on like, I don't want you to be pigeonholed into libertarianism exclusively. I want you to uh, reach out to different types of people and get different perspectives on all of which I was kind of thinking about it. Just the timing was perfect for it. And I said, well, I'll just change the name and we'll kind of reformat some of this, rebrand it. And so that's what we did. He, I, I came up with a list of like 20 names, my friend, Bobby, uh, who's in the Austin ANCAP group with me, who helps me with the website and he helps me with a lot of stuff, honestly. And he's, uh, he came up with Counterflow. That was one. Of, he, he had a list of names. And I said, excuse me. I said, I think I like that one. And I showed it to Thad. I, I gave him like five examples. And he goes, Counterflow. He's like, that's you. And so we started thinking like everything I do runs counter to kind of a mainstream, um, sure. whether it be my music interests, certainly my political interests, um, and even my job as a firefighter, we go running in while everyone else is running out you know we're, i'm always going up up against uh the grain so to speak so it seemed to be a natural fit what is your what are your music interests oh there's a lot but i mean it goes from everything from old jazz and and r&b to rockabilly to punk rock and oi music and hardcore music and and uh, traditional country music but it's all all of these are niches. You're not going to turn on the radio and hear anything that I like. So, and I used to sit, I used to have friends that I would say, I'm just jealous. Like you can get in your car and just pop on the radio and just, you like it. And I, it always, I was a little jealous, but I just thought I can't, I can't listen to all this stuff that everyone else listens to. And it wasn't that I was trying to be um, like a counterculture guide uh, just to do it. It was just kind of instinctively in me. And same with politics, I, I couldn't just turn on Fox News or MSNBC and go, yeah, these are my people. It's I'm always like just off to the side a bit from everything. And so the counterflow name seemed to work. Perfect, man. So let's get into these uh, questions here. And let's do it. Let's, I think everybody kind of gets a, a vibe of uh, so. So we'll uh, get into these questions here a little bit. So uh, you might know this, but I didn't know this. And, and looking up for this question was. Uh, uh, the when 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 people reference the the the, the left wing or right wing, the history of it uh, is that um, and I never knew this. So I, this was kind of cool. So um, I guess in uh, 18th century France, yeah. it was just the wings of the of the assembly hall, right? That's really sad. The the right the, the if you if you wanted the the king to have its traditional powers, you sat on the right. Yeah. And if and if you wanted the king to not have the traditional powers, you sat on the left. Mm -hmm. And uh, I never knew that, and I I always thought that it had to do with like, uh, like a bird. Oh, like obviously I was like, okay, I mean I guess wings. You know, I didn't even think like that, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. But 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 <laughs> but but I still like that because uh, uh, I don't know. I just like the 
the vision of it. And uh, this past week when uh, you know we were talking about how we were going to come over, and I, I sent you this uh, Mexican uh, Norteño song. Yeah. And I just go, hey, man, this is what I'm about, just so you know, you know who's coming over to your house, you know? And there's one uh, lyric in there that's, that, that says, uh, I'm a ownerless soul, uh, uh, just like a bird, I fly from port to port. And my question to you is, um, do you need both wings to fly? And in what direction are you trying to fly politically? Oh, well, I suppose a bird does need both wings to fly. Um, that's, a, that's an interesting way to phrase it. I, you'd, in a perfect world, if we could, you know, we talk about secession, if, if we could secede, for instance, down to this neighborhood or something very small, I don't think you need both wings, for instance, I, I would prefer to be have my life free of influence from left wing uh, people. That would be that would be my my goal. But I I realize in a in 2021 in a populated uh, area that's going to be tough to do. But I try to insulate my I try to insulate my world uh, free of chaotic influences. And on my, my tattoo is a, a hate breed song it says own your world. And I try to do that as much as possible. And much of the left represents chaos and uh, disorder and disunity. So I try to eliminate that from from my little section of life here, segment of the. So you uh, you would uh, cut off one of the wings and stay where you can. I'd stay grounded. Stay grounded. Yes. Sure. Okay. I, I I understand that. So so is the left or left leaning people evil uh i think the philosophy is i think uh the people that are hardcore the true believers in actual left-wing philosophy i can't i don't want to paint up with a broad brush and say they're all evil i think a lot of them are fooled into certain ways of thinking because the left is very good at presenting their case as if they're the people that care about the little man and so that's a natural instinct that you think well i i do that i, I care i don't want someone to starve in the streets um, when you dig into the philosophy a little bit deeper than that, you realize it's about controlling everybody and and it's a it's a supremacist movement. In other words, left the left wing doesn't want you to just live your life like you want to do. And I think we see that quite often now. Uh, they want to make sure that you say, don't say certain words, that you don't participate in certain activities, that you are forced to give money to certain or the government organizations, it's that one. Um, they want to make sure that you live by their rules and, and that's not what I'm about. So are left-wing people evil? No, I don't, I mean, certainly some of them are. Certainly the leaders for sure are. The political class. Yeah, the political class <laughs> certainly is. And, and I think it's an evil philosophy and it's rooted in, in chaos and control and authority. But there's a lot of people that are kind of live most people aren't like us where you focus on politics daily but there's plenty of people that would say yeah i lean left i like to help the poor people those people certainly aren't evil they just don't look into things any further than that yeah i hear you um so you had mentioned secession and how it was the uh, a part of your foundation on uh, how you kind of got into it you said you said I, I don't know why i looked into it but you did what do, why do you think you looked into it I can't remember, you know, I, I said I liked rockabilly music and there was a, I, I would say within rockabilly music circles, the rebel flag pops up from time to time because it's, it's an old Southern uh, symbol and, and rockabilly music came from Memphis, Tennessee. And so that was, the flag was kind of ubiquitous back then, you know, Elvis would play gigs and there's rebel flags and whatnot. So it could have been from that where I was just even doing research on Confederacy or the rebel flag or what that means outside of just a musical a symbol within a musical uh, subculture. And so I found uh, the League of the South, which was then called the Southern League. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. They want to like s break back off of America, like in, in, in the Southern states secede, like they try to do uh, the first time in the 1860s. That's interesting. And I, I started thinking about it like, hmm, what an interesting thought this is. And I can't believe 
there's legitimate groups out there pushing this. And so I, I thought that was fascinating. And, and they preached smaller government is better, local government is better. And of course, that seemed to make sense to me as it still does. And so that's kind of how I stumbled upon that. And how, how would you reply to anyone that, if, that isn't into this, which is like I said, Dios, primas, friends, and they're like rebel flag. I mean, th th automatically they're gonna have an instinct to say, oh, isn't that like a racist thing and all that stuff? Can, can you give a little insight onto why it can be, but it oh. doesn't have to be the whole story? Right, well, it's- Or maybe it is a part of it, but you know, I mean, we can get into that a little bit too, because it's important, I think, for people to know that how, how it doesn't have to be, that's not the whole story. Yeah, unfortunately, the rebel flag was used by some really bad people. And uh, interestingly enough, the, the, the Southern League, which is now the League of the South, got infiltrated by some bad people, which is why, I, it's not why I got out, but I, I just lost, as I moved to Austin, you know, I'm young and partying and stuff and worrying about some uh, secession group when I'm in my early 20s, I just kind of lost interest. Uh, and then I started digging back into this and, and, and I years just a few years ago and I looked, I wonder what those guys are up to. And then sure enough, there's there's like racist elements in it. And it was like, guys, like you're ruining your own cause by doing stuff like this. And of course, uh, the Klan uh, used symbols of the rebel flag, uh, stuff like that. And so the symbol's certainly been tainted. I actually used to have a rebel flag and I, I got rid of it just because I thought, you know, people can just get the wrong the, once the, the, the thought is out there that this represents some kind of clan establishment or something, I just, you know, it's, it's a, it becomes useless, unfortunately. And so once bad elements infiltrate any type of movement, sometimes the symbolism within the movement becomes tainted. And I think that's what has happened with the rebel flag. And of course, people associated with slavery or something like that, um, because uh, the vic, you know, to the victors go the spoils. So the winning side gets to write the history books. And so they get to say, well, we conquered the South because they wanted slavery and we did not. And that's the cartoon version of, of history, of course, but that's what people learn in school. So unfortunately, now that image has been tainted. How would, uh, how would, how would you try to sell secession to not the political left, mm -hmm. but I'm talking, we're talking about, you know, the everyday left, um, you know, a lot of them don't even realize that uh, the drug war and 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 how and how like someone like a state like California, a bunch of states in the beginning were practicing like a soft secession by yes. not by not uh, 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 doing all the federal laws. Um, that could be one way. But, you know, that, that that term secession just it triggers people to think something more. Yes. This, but how would you try to sell it if. Uh, because if it was your, if it was a part of your foundation when you got into this, that means it's still there, right? I mean, you, yes. you built off of this secessionist thinking, you know, a mindset. It is, and so I, I, when you're like me and you're steeped in it for all of these years, it becomes like just another word that means uh, something positive. But to someone who's just living their daily life, and some guy goes, "I'm about secession," I think that freaks people out. The average person that's not paying attention to these kind of things. And I can understand why they wouldn't, you know, people have to work and go to school and do their jobs and have kids. Why are you researching a secession movement online? You know, <laughs> like, so I, I would say you can give good examples like you just said. So California, that's a soft secession. It's called nullification. Oh, that's right. Yeah. When, when states decide to do their own thing against what the federal government's telling them to do. So uh, sanctuary cities, I, I would say is a good thing. So in California, if San Francisco doesn't want to follow Donald Trump's uh, immigration rules and they become sanctuary cities, that's really a form of soft secession. In other words, you're, you're, you've decided, and Gavin Newsom said this, he called California a nation state at one point. You've decided, we're California. I don't care what Donald Trump says. Uh, we are going to do our own thing. That's a very soft way of kind of breaking away from the federal institution that is the United States of America. Um, it's becoming common now for sanctuary cities uh, for guns. And, and through COVID, 
we really saw it big because the, one of Donald Trump's best things is that he kind of did hands off with when, when it came to the lockdowns. It, it was up to each state as it should be. And so now we get to see really how states do their own thing and don't listen to the federal government or don't have this one rule fits everyone in the country. So we get to see, look at Florida. They were open. They're kind of their own thing. Look at California. They were locked down. They were their own thing. And so that's that's one way to pitch it is that we're kind of witnessing it happen. And certainly Texas, you know how we are here. We kind of have this streak of Texas pride. And and when you you, you go to other states, let's just say you don't see Colorado Chevrolet <laughs> and the Colorado edition of, of this Ford truck and stuff like that, because we are kind of our own people here in Texas. So I think we kind of instinctively have that spirit here to begin with. So that, I think that's helpful as well. Yeah, I um, uh, I always find it interesting that, you know, like people in Europe or I guess like England or English people, whatever, when they when they refer, when they reference our country, they call it the states. Yes. And I always thought that they might have a more under, of an understanding of what that means than the common person right. here. When we think of our country, we, we think of it as one but it's not like that. Right. It really is little mini countries. Yes, it's uh, supposed to be that way. It's not the United States of America. It's the United States. And so initially it was set up to be, and I don't like the term democracy very much, but th they say, uh, you know, say 50 uh, experiments in democracy. So let each state do their own thing. I realize there weren't 50 when we started, but you get the point. So it's like a checkerboard, I think is what they call it, a checkerboard of democracy. So Texas gets to decide their gun laws or their abortion laws. And see, to my point earlier about the left being authoritarian and, and supremacist, you noticed when Alabama or Georgia wanted to decide their abortion laws, guess who freaks out? California. We're going to, well, then Hollywood's not going to film in your, we're not going to have movies in your state. It's because that's the left wing in, uh, instinct is to they do care about what happens in Alabama. They do care about what happens in Georgia. You know, Alabama, they don't care if, if California left. They don't care what happens in Seattle, but that's because they're not left wing and, and that, that influence uh, all through the West Coast. They want to dictate to people in Georgia what their abortion law should be. So why are you saying controversial things right now in this interview? Like, what do you mean you don't like democracy? Uh, I don't like the word. I don't like, well, I don't like democracy because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, five, five uh, wolves deciding, which you know, I forgot the saying, but it's basically, it's majority rule. I don't love that. So in other words, especially, and I, this really hit home when California, for instance, was voting on gay marriage years ago, I believe it was during the Obama administration. And I thought, they don't get to vote on if someone can get married. And that's democracy. That's what it is. And I thought, no, 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 no. You, the, a thousand people don't get to vote if one guy's allowed to get married. That, that seems insane to me. And so when you break it down in, in that way, I don't see how anyone could say it's a positive thing. Now, they'll say it's positive, let's say, when, when Joe Biden won. Well, see, democracy. We've saved democracy. But when Trump won, this isn't democracy. So, so even the people that say they love it, they only love it when it goes their way. Yeah, no, I, uh, um, you know, uh, since I've been getting into the podcasting through, you know, listening to you, listening to different people like that and uh, uh, some other people, uh, uh, this idea of completely throwing away this idea of democracy is 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 new to me mm. and it's going to be new to a lot of listeners like right now they're going to you know people that yeah no you know, no democracy you know yeah. or you know um but i also understand that i think it's uh the the foundation of it is that it's fair hey right. you won hey you won but they don't understand the what happens when someone just wins they get to rule over the right. other the other half that 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 I guess lost. Um, where did uh, where did we start going bad when 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 you know we're a republic, but a lot of people don't know what a republic is. Uh, wh where did it start? Where did it start going bad for us as a country 
uh, uh, with that, with that uh, the lack of understanding that 1860, 1865, when when the the federal government conquered the Confederacy, because this country was set up initially. Uh, Thomas Jefferson said it. It's in the De Declaration of Independence that you you can break away if if you don't deem what's going on fair. This was a collection of states, not one massive country, if that makes sense. And so once Lincoln did this to the South, and basically the thought then was, nope, we're all just one country. If you don't like it, too bad. This is a democracy. You're not your own individual entities. I think that's when the tide started to turn in the uh, wrong direction. So you don't like democracy? You don't like Lincoln? You don't like... I don't know. <laughs> Lincoln was the third worst president of all time. Who were the other ones? Uh, Woodrow Wilson's probably first. It, the, the, the top two, you could say FDR or Woodrow Wilson. Uh, Lincoln, it's, that's always the debate. It's those three people. Lincoln certainly, there's a lot of blood on all of those hands, <laughs> we'll say that, uh, of Americans. Yeah, no, I hear you. Um, so let's uh, kind of move on a little bit to a, a different little side of this. Uh, I've heard you say, and, um, uh, and, and, and I like the idea of putting out like markers or, or, or some little predictions out there. But, you know, you, you had talked about right now about Trump and Biden and that's, and that's presidential stuff. But a lot of these cycles, people pay attention to the presidential cycles. Um, I've heard you kind of say, and I don't know if you, if you're still, this is kind of, but that you kind of feel that Tucker Carlson yep. might be, I still you kind of get that. a feel, yeah. get into that a little bit because why, you know, It'd be cool if it does, because then you'd be like, hey, hey, I told I told y'all. Yeah, should have bought stock and fucked Johnson. <laughs> um, obviously, right now on the Republican side, the clear uh, front runner would be Ron DeSantis because he's by far the he's done the best job on anyone in the Republican Party at leading his state. He's a leader, not a follower like our governor here in Texas, but an actual leader. So I could see DeSantis certainly makes sense to be president or uh, at least their nominee in the Republican Party. I just have this gut feeling we're in a we're in a Hollywood TV persona world now. Donald Trump was the president. He was just a TV star. Joe Biden, you know, I realize we're back there and he's just a 40 year politician. But there's some there was rumblings of Oprah running possibly and then The Rock and then Matthew McConaughey in Texas. Tucker Carlson is the biggest uh, name in cable news by far, as far as uh, viewership goes. And he's a little bit out front of a lot of others on many issues. He's not afraid to kind of uh, break away from the party line, certainly. He's been really hard on several Republicans. He's hard on the, the establishment guys all the time, like Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell. And He's very anti-war, which is why I love him so much. And, and that sentiment now has grown because of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. So if, if they're not going to go back to a neocon phase, which I think now is where the Democrats are, I just think they're headed in this populist kind of uh, sentiment in the Republican Party. And that's either going to be Ron DeSantis or Tucker Carlson, in my opinion. And I could see... I remember I was watching Tucker one night and Candace Owens was on with him. And I told Brittany, there's your next two. There's your president and vice president. That's just my guess, but we'll see. Oh, okay, cool. I, uh, uh, it'd be interesting. I know that um, uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, he spoke at the counter convention in 2008 that Ron Paul he sure had. Did. He was like, he introduced, he introduced him, right? Yes. And uh, he gave a, a cool speech. And I remember thinking like, even back then, like, hey, this guy's probably on our side, meaning like the Ron, but you know, he also still talks some shit about Ron Paul when he knows yes. he doesn't, he's not a like, you know, but, but I remember like, uh, uh, even back then I thought, okay, well, this guy's okay. And he's, 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 he's saying the right thing. So, so he put himself now in a position, you know, from, from where he came from, I guess from, he had another show, right? It was like on MSNBC, right? Did, yeah. He used to have like the, the, the bow tie and, yeah. um, and now to be on that spot, uh, it's kind of like uh, he's moving the his pieces around to yes. So he's you, made some interesting moves, and you know a lot of the Fox News viewership fell off 
after the election because a lot of people on the right feel that Fox News being the first to call Arizona, when even today there's clearly some dispute of, of who really won Arizona, uh, they thought that was like the traitor move. Fox has abandoned us. That was very common. And everyone's going, what's Tucker going to do? Because he's the guy. Is he going to leave Fox? And he didn't leave Fox. They had to double down on him where now he's got Tucker Carlson today, Tucker Carlson at night. He's doing, the, the like I said, a video podcast every day there. So they've basically said to their audience, please don't leave us. We'll give you more of Tucker Carlson. We know that's what you love. Mm. Please don't leave us. And so that shows basically how much power and influence that Tucker has. And so if you have that much power and influence, that's when you're, you should be prepared to probably make some bigger steps forward. And I think that I just get this feeling that he could be the guy. That's, that's interesting. Uh, one, um, one of the things that, uh, that uh, well, let's, let's get a little bit into the Tucker stuff, but just because he touches on a lot of subjects uh, and uh, like the protectionist tariff, pro-tariffs, uh, mm -hmm. what's your take on that? Uh, I mean, um, I, don't, I don't love that part of the populist movement. And my friend Tho Bishop has said, if we can get Tucker Carlson and Lou Rockwell at the, in the same room, just to talk for a few hours that Tucker will come out a much better a person as far as protectionism. He, Tucker needs some help on economics. And, and if he can get that part sorted out, I think he'd be pretty damn good. Visit PalomaVerdeCBD.com for all of your CBD needs. Get 25% off everything in their store by using the promo code Renegade. Yeah. And then the, the other one that, that I know that, uh, that I don't like, but you know, I mean, you, you, you can't like everybody's politics. You just, yeah. you can always just admire if they're sincere and you just go, go from there is a, uh, his like immigration policy. Uh, uh, what is your take? Uh, you know, what is, what is your, uh, take on the immigration, on the immigration issue? Because a lot of my primos and primas, you know, they're definitely gonna wanting to know what the Liberty movement talks about on immigration and 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 that way people know like there's debates on what there's a lot of there's always good debate in the liberty movement about yeah. all kinds of topics. actually that's probably all they do is just debate on Argue. all kinds of th that's things. a big one though immigration and abortion are two hot uh they're always hotly contested and debated topics within libertarianism part of that is because there's the theoretical world of libertarianism so you don't need to debate borders if you're strictly in a libertarian society because it's all privately owned. So if, if, if I own, let's say this block, well, I, I get to decide. I don't, I have people from Mexico, Germany, they can come here and I don't want Californians. Well, that's my, it's my, it's my rules. It, <laughs> no Cali's over here. Yeah. And, and Jeff Dice has said, and I agree with him. I'll take all the immigrants from Mexico if we can shut down the ones from California. Um, <laughs> but that, that's where it gets tricky. So when we respect property rights and let's say you're at the southern border and they've it's free flow immigration who owns that property so if it's the taxpayers and it's public land well then do the taxpayers vote on who comes over so it gets a it's a very muddy situation which often happens when you involve government you you start getting confused and gray areas so in other words if you close the border of South Texas, then you're, are you stopping uh, the free flow of free, of free individuals, their, their path of travel to get to where they wanna go? Or are you respecting the people that live down there that don't want that happening? So that's, that's always the, the confusion. And, and when you involve government, unfortunately, it's hard to sort these out uh, without you know, harming uh, one side or the other, really, because are you doing harm to the people that are trying to get in? Do you really wanna see government officials cracking skulls or throwing people back over that just wanted to be peaceful here and live? Or to Tucker's point, sometimes are the Democrats bringing in people that they can get hooked on uh, welfare and then vote for them forever? So that's the tricky part. Yeah, the, the you had brought up though, and uh, he had posted something about uh, on Facebook about like, what kind of Republican Party he he rep, he stands for, 
And, uh, you know, I put a comment in there because I know immigration, you know, I put something just like, well, what about, uh, you know, your immigration policy? And I don't think he put too much, but a lot like that comment, you know, so it's there's that there's what there's that of what you're saying. But, you know, there's also like a lot of overtones that basically say that uh, in the liberty movement that uh, the the brown, the, the, the brown colored there's a there's like some caution behind it. I don't, I don't know if it's that, that it's brown or something, but there is something like that. I mean, do you ever see any of that? Do you get it? Like, like there was no reason why my comment had to get that many hits. Yeah. But it obviously it, it, it rubbed people the the way to be like, hey, you know, go fix Mexico before you come. You know, you know, you just ah. all kinds. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it's everywhere. But is it a problem in the liberty movement? Is it a minority? Or 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 am I just seeing it more because you know I'm trying to say that uh, that we should just have as minimal restrictions possible to allow people to come in and, and but you know I guess my question is where 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 do you stand on the on the immigration issue and and is it okay to have these debates where when it when it talks about I guess. Uh, not the race, but I don't know. I'm trying, I'm trying to ask the question in a way where, where I'm trying to see if if you see that sometimes where it, where it does become that, or 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 is or do you or do you just see it as no? It's just a debate whether if it's open borders yes. or restrictions or that. That's what I see. I I've not seen it through a racial lens much, especially within the liberty movement. It's always it's this like nerdy economic debate quite often which we find ourselves in sometimes and so it's uh there's often the the thought that people coming in here from wherever not just mexico but anywhere if you still have welfare and public schooling or uh public or hospitals that just take people without paying for instance my friends uh that live in england it's a married couple friend of mine and the wife is pretty left wing. And she said th they had this open immigration from Muslim countries. And she told me, well, we have free healthcare system here. You can't do that. You can't just accept a bunch of people because it messes every, it'll flood the market. And then we're waiting 10 hours or shit, 10 months uh, for medical treatment. And so there's that. Anytime you're bringing too many people in from anywhere that would clog a system. And when the government run things, runs things, the system's not very efficient, so it's easy to clog. I see that argument, that's the economic argument. My, my perfect situation outside of 100% privately owned society would be eliminate all welfare and all public schools and all anything publicly financed for healthcare and open the borders. Yeah, we, um, we uh, uh, you know, we both know uh, uh, Thad Russell and he recently had a guest on that uh, was trying to make the argument that most political movements or populist movements are the fear of the of the others yes. being you know meaning, uh, you know Im new immigrants and yep. stuff like that and um, and uh, man I don't know I mean I guess maybe I have a different take because uh, a lot of Ron Paul people that I knew through the Ron Paul campaign when Trump started his rise uh, they they kind of showed some different colors of uh, rhetoric that mm. almost like if they felt they had a little bit of space to kind of say some things that i don't be like like you, you would have said that five like years like ago. like you want to put crocodiles on the on the on, on the real grand for what like you know <laughs> yeah yeah oh, i remember something about that and and i was like the florida alligators i was like okay but they feel free to to do that what is it about but maybe a nation state or a state that 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 um that fears others is it is it the people's um i don't know i guess natural defense to change it, it, some is it, to it, fight change i think because uh like when you say fear the others we're in texas here south texas kind of uh i kind of think like the hispanic culture is just everywhere here so it, it doesn't bother me at all in fact i i embrace it and and i fear the California culture coming here, but that's the fear of the other two. And so that's just like this 
this this instinct to be uh, like this is our people here. I don't want those people coming in. It's just and so I don't divide it by race. Well, maybe I do. I don't want a bunch of rich white Californians <laughs> moving here to Lockhart and bringing their policies with them. I, I'll take all the Mexicans around here that that are just like me. So uh, it's not necessarily by culture as far as ethnicity goes, in my opinion. But or, you just said white Californians. Yeah, except I was going to say, except those people. But that's the California people. Maybe some of them are Greek. I don't know. But, but I don't want the other, meaning them, bringing their politics here, it's like, well, why are you leaving California? I wonder why. Not too fun out there, is it? And blue state land. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. So, you know what? That's that that, that is true. Like, uh, I, I mean, I never get. I always just take it as that. Like, like you know. But yeah, I would. I wouldn't also in my community if there were some others that were coming that I that were going to bring chaos yes. into the right. in, into what might be some order that we have, it's natural to do that, I, I guess. But um, sometimes it just feels like, uh, sometimes it feels like there's a little something else in there, but you know, no, nobody's perfect. So yeah. you got to just take it with, uh, t- take it how it is. Uh, um, I've heard you mention before uh, on some, on some previous shows, um, and we're going to change it up here a little bit. Um, Cause I want to get into this with you. Cause I think it's cool with, uh, uh, how much, uh, 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 Vin Armani and Mobug have started influencing you and your thinking. Um, because like you said, from, from 95 typing in secession to now, I mean, that's that, you know, but libertarian thoughts really are grounded on the real, the foundational, like you don't, you, you can move a little bit, but once you kind of are there, you, 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 you stay there. But I've, Kind of been hearing you kind of change a little bit on this stuff can you kind of talk a little bit how you've not that it's changed how, how the ideas are starting to take a, a new life or something with, yeah. with these guys like mobug and and vin armani and so libertarians this includes me are we are very much into the theoretical world and and well if 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 we just obey the non-aggression principle, then X, Y, Z will happen. The, the problem is getting from where we're at now to that part is always an issue. And a lot of libertarians are so stuck in the academic part where we're studying economics and the effects. And, and no one else talks about the unintended consequences of government policies, but we do. But it's like, OK, but we're in 2021 in the United States of America how do we get to a better spot? You can't just go, well, we should all be libertarian because we're not. <laughs> the, the people that are turned on by, by studying libertarian philosophy are, are the amount of people that vote for the Libertarian Party candidate every year, and that's about 3% of the population. So that's not working. So the other problem with libertarianism is it, it's so thin, purposely thin. It just means the non-aggression principle. You can't harm people and you can't take their things. That's it. That's a good foundation, but you need much more than that. You can't just live your life as a pure libertarian. There's culture, there's family, there's religion. And libertarian doesn't really, libertarianism doesn't have an answer for those things, which is why I like paleo-libertarianism, because it does. You have to fill these voids with meaningful things in your life. And so people like Vin Armani, He's been good at talking about that kind of stuff. Mencius Mulbug fascinates me because he's brilliant. Um, he, he has unique ideas, at least, I mean, and to me, I, there's ideas that he's preaching that I've never heard before. And he was a libertarian, so as was Vin. So it's interesting to hear these people that were rooted in the same philosophy that I was or am and how they've expanded it a bit further past just saying, you can't hurt people and you can't take their things. You need a lot more than that, which uh, is why I think, again, to leftism being a supremacist movement, why it's, it's, that's infiltrated the Libertarian Party because they, they sit there and go for years, we're not left and we're not right. We're just libertarianisms. We're, excuse me, we're just libertarians. So what that causes is a vacuum. And when you have a vacuum, uh, unless you stand up to it, the left will take it over. So, so it's... It's um, when you say it's thin, it's thin, the the message or yes. or 
or that libertarianism can't talk to the average person or, or like what, 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 what? It's, it's thin meaning it's strictly non-aggression principle and nothing else like christianity is thick right it's got all kinds of of things that you should follow and sacraments and whatnot libertarianism just says one thing don't hurt people and don't take their things that's embodied in the in the non-aggression principle outside of that there libertarianism isn't anything so that's a weird philosophy, right? You just have this one thing that you follow. Well, what, else, what, what about the other parts of your life? What about the other parts of your society, your culture, your family? So you have to fill those with things. And I think people like Vin Armani are at least preaching um, tradition and religion and, and things like that that help to fill your life with something positive rather than just chaos. So so then if... if, if so yes, uh, libertarians get 3%, but so then are you saying then also uh, like to say then that liberalism and conservatism are, are, aren't thin and that's why they, right. they, and, and they, they speak to people's emotions, which is important to do. And as libertarians, most, for the most part, our philosophy does not. And most people are attracted to things when you tug on their heartstrings and you, and you appeal to their emotions rather than saying, um, do you not understand economics? You know, and you can't do that. That violates the non-aggression principle. That doesn't reach, that doesn't pull anyone. And um, how do you, then how do you see libertarian, uh, 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 I mean, the liberty movement moving past that? Because, because that is, uh, you know, if we're doing this, that the stuff that we do, we, you know, like I said, you know, where do you see, where do you see yourself flying, or where do you see yourself going with the liberty movement? How, how do we, how does it get past that type of, I don't know, strategic or mindset, mm -hmm. or, 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 I mean, is it being a, is it being more aggressive with the, with, I mean, I don't know, I'm asking you, what do you, how do you, how do we get past that? Because if not, then it sounds like it's a pointless cause. Yeah, it feels that way sometimes. Um, create art, create things that. Uh, for instance, Ayn Rand, she was one of the big, she's not, didn't even call herself a libertarian, but we can certainly agree that she preached free market economics, certainly, which is a part of libertarianism. She did it with books, with fiction books, and that reached massive amount of people. And, you know, stuff like that certainly helps if you can appeal to the art that people make and make art within your community. That would help. Um, messaging, you know, Media is so decentralized now, that helps a lot. To have someone like Dave Smith go on the biggest podcast in the world and reach, I don't know how many millions of people that uh, Joe Rogan reaches, things like that certainly help compared to 20 years ago when all you had is just kind of mainstream sources for media. So infiltrating different uh, ways of getting messaging out there. Luckily, with technology and podcasts, that's helping a lot now. Um, when I was young, for instance, I, like I said, I stumbled onto Alex Jones because he's on the FM radio station. Mm. There were no such things as podcasts. But then once podcasts came out, you can search for any topic you want and it's out there and it's out there in many forms. There's, you know, how many libertarian podcasts are there now? Tons. So that helps um, methods of basically so, so, decentralizing. So you're right there, you're speaking to like the culture, right? Yes. But what about libertarian politics against? going against the two-party system that's because because crushed. that's we don't have any hope there you're gonna have to infiltrate the the other two parties okay and that's a little debate that's been going on that you've had throw on and yes. different people that that uh or like dave smith that you know uh where, where, where do you stand on that like uh is that what you're saying it's I, have you been convinced to that the libertarian politic political machine is, isn't going to do anything against the two party system or, or, or can you work on both fronts and say, Hey, yeah, we should in like, I, I don't know, you know, I'm asking like, what, where, cause it's going to start heating up again. The new yes, cycle is, is going to start heating up again, you know? Yes, it and, is. So I started in the libertarian party in the year 2000 and I wanted to be a delegate in 2016 for Jacob Hornberger. Uh, as a libertarian candidate, he ended up not winning the nomination, as we all know, Joe Jorgensen won. 
I'll tell you this, when I started, I, I went to Libertarian Party functions up until about 2004, 2005 probably. And then I kind of, party politics are not very appealing to me. I learned that now because I, I kept telling myself, oh, just, just give it a, stick it out a few more years. And so here's the deal. When I went back in 2015, no, 16, in the lead up to that election, we were trying to, like I said, be delegates for Jacob Hornberger. A very large amount of the exact same people were going to the meetings that I saw in 2000. They were just 15 years older. And I looked around and I thought, you guys have not done a damn thing in 15 years, not one thing. And you're still going to these meetings and it's just this little social club of, and, and they looked at us, all these ANCAPs came in because of Hornberger, and which is what's a good thing. I met a lot of new friends that way, but they were like, whoa, they're outsiders. They're trying to take over our little social club kind of thing. And it's just, we're a two party system. I wish we weren't, I wish we had 10 parties that could all stand a chance, but we don't. The Libertarian party will never have a chance at running a credible nominee to be president. It's just not gonna happen. So. Once you understand the reality of, of politics, you're going to have to figure out a way to get your message through the structures that we currently have operating. And so that's the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. So I would advise libertarians on the, on the national level and probably state level, you're gonna have to go that route. If you wanna do city level, party politics aren't much of a thing like i don't know what party my mayor here belongs to i suspect it's the republican party but i don't know that um that's kind of the the feel and the culture within your local community that you could infiltrate that quite easily i, I suspect but then again running as a libertarian out and about proudly what good is that going to do to win a city council seat here i could just be a libertarian uh philosophically and still win the seat I don't need the party to back me up. So that's when you get into, again, the pointlessness of an actual libertarian party. I will say, here's what they should do. Here's what the LP should do. Focus on elections where you're purposely trying to get someone to lose. Not your candidate, but the one who's sitting currently. For instance, um, Gavin Newsom, if he doesn't get recalled, the California Libertarian Party should absolutely run a left libertarian for governor. And, and straight up tell Gavin Newsom, we're doing this so you lose, so we take votes from you and the Republican wins. Because then all of a sudden, they start having to pay lip service to you. And for instance, in Florida, I, the Libertarian Party should not run anyone against Ron DeSantis when he goes for reelection. He's been by far the most freedom-oriented governor in the world, essentially. So you do not run someone against him. That, that would also... Uh, money in the LP is very finite resource. It's not full of rich donors. So that would allow you then to funnel your limited resources into certain candidates. Uh, I, I, again, when Shane Hazel ran for Congress in Georgia and ended up throwing it to the runoff where the Democrats won, the Trump campaign, the Trump presidency, the Trump cabinet, whatever you want to call it, should have gone down to Georgia and told uh, Shane Hazel, please don't run against these the Republicans. I'll have the Republicans talk about auditing the Federal Reserve. I'll have them talk about uh, no gun laws. I'll have them talk about the drug war. If that's what you want, please do not run against them. And so then all of a sudden, the Libertarian Party candidate has some power because you're gonna throw an election possibly, conceivably. So I think that's the one way for a Libertarian Party to have power is to scare the sitting people into at least rhetorically offering some uh, platitudes, some things that are on the Libertarian Party platform, because if they're doing it from their bully pulpit, so to speak, then those ideas do get out there into the mainstream. Yeah, so, so it's uh, um, run left-leaning Libertarians to, to, to host a Democrat. To, to oust, uh, and but, um, and, and the Republicans are gonna just play nice to the Libertarians? Well, so for instance, when Ron DeSantis runs in 2022 for reelection, the Libertarian Party should go, you know what? We're not gonna run someone against you if you at least say X, Y, Z on your campaign. We like what you did with the lockdowns. You, we are a free state here. 
you took the mask mandates away, you're, take, you're now making it illegal to have vaccine passports, et cetera. Mention uh, decriminalization of marijuana and, and we're good, we're not running anyone against you. So then that would be a political victory. Yes, for libertarianism. And, 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 it, could, and it becomes a conversation yes. to every day. Because when Ron DeSantis says something, his followers and his supporters go, yes, yes, King. And so if he could just bring up, maybe let's decriminalize uh, medical marijuana and then maybe move on to marijuana, they're not going to go, no, wait a second, that's a bridge too far. They're still going to vote for the guy. <laughs> okay, so how do, you, how do you put this plan into action? Because you thought, you know, now you need to get uh, 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 in touch with, um, you know, you, you got to put a blueprint out there if that's something that you're kind of advocating for, which... Okay, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to understand that I can see how the, the Libertarian Party can be uh, a player knowing their role in the game as, uh, I guess, the, the, the little leverage to, that can be put to each side to get uh, some Spoiler. concessions or get Spoilers. a, a spoiler. Um, uh, so how does that, how do you put that kind of plan into action then? Uh, well, you show this podcast to every Libertarian Party state libertarian party in the country. Um, well, it's hard because like I said, the LP is an old social club and they like to say, we're neither left nor right. So there's gonna be all this infighting if they wanna endorse or not run someone against Ron DeSantis or someone that's good like that, or do they run someone just to have Gavin Newsom lose there's gonna be a lot of old school people that say, that's not what we're about. We're about running the best candidate that represents liberty and losing for the rest of our lives. So <laughs> uh, you have to get people in, in spots within the LP um, that have authority, uh, you know, state party, uh, Libertarian Party of Florida, state head or whatever that agree with this. I don't suspect that would be very easy. That's just the role I believe the LP should be willing to play because it's the one way they could actually get libertarian uh, policies enacted, at least put also into the public discussion, if nothing more. That's a big, that's a big, they don't have that now, right? And, and do you think that it would be easier to implement this type of strategy if there was people of, uh, in the positions of power that were from the Mises Caucus? Within the LP, yeah, because the Mises Caucus represents a young energy. And I think that a takeover, some of them don't like calling it that, but a takeover would certainly represent a refreshed energy within the LP. And Hopefully, th there could be people in positions of power that would agree with this uh, tactic. I don't know that there will be, but they certainly stand a better chance of doing that than the old guard within LP. That's for sure, because I've been around those people a long time. And um, you, uh, we, we had mentioned uh, Dave Smith is uh, someone that is he's, he's put a, his name out there uh, as a uh, for like libertarian president. Um, and he's part of the, the Mises caucus. Um, just how we were trying to get into this through the Ron Paul and the Republican party, the old guard, they don't give up their power that easy. Right. Um, but also you're kind of making it seem like, uh, it's a social club. So maybe it can be infiltrated in a way to put people in, in those type of positions, but you know, uh, we're also putting it out there. So, are, I mean, you know, uh, are we going to ruin their plan? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, but uh, no, no, but I, I, you know, it's funny that you said, I kind of like the chaos of it all mm. because, um, you know, if, if, if we had Donald Trump in there, we, he just had him and the budgets, the fiscal budgets, most of the war stuff kind of continued. It, it just seemed like it just seemed like there was a continuation of the per, of, of the perpetual growth of of government. The however you want to call it, the deep state bureaucratic class. They kind of mostly just went with the flow. Mm -hmm. um, um, 
Oh, I guess I, I lost my train of thought. Uh, I guess I was going to... Uh, no, that's right. From chaos, you can get some new beginnings. But I also know that you're someone that has talked about that from chaos can come a lot of disorder. Mm -hmm. um, and this was going to be one of my questions was, you know, doesn't chaos make life interesting? <laughs> Not in a good way. I mean, it makes life interesting... I think that outside of the likely uh, shenanigans happening with voter voting throughout various states, I think there's a certain percentage of the population that wanted Joe Biden to win just because they felt it would help stop chaos. So it sure, I, I thought it was interesting because you had a figure in the presidency that was not wanted by the powers that had always run things. That was very obvious. They concocted story after story about how it really happened and it wasn't legal and all of this, this stuff with Russia and whatnot. So that was chaotic because it showed, wait a second, the social club, the, the large one, the deep state, if you want to call it that, that was infiltrated all of a sudden. And that, that did create a lot of chaos. I found that certainly interesting. It was an interesting experiment in political science that we all learned from over the last four years. Uh, but I also think a large percentage of the population were like, just elect Joe Biden so we can get back to normal. Um, I think in a way that was crafted a bit uh, by again, the powers that be, if, if we can make uh, Trump seem like a chaotic, uh, bumbling fool that no smart person would actually like or care about, uh, then, then we can go back to our social club. The American people will have learned, like, don't elect an outsider. See how, see how that went last time? Yeah, I guess also I'm, I'm, I'm trying to bring back the first question about the left wing and the right wing. And, yeah. and, and, it's, and, and, and kind of my question to you then is, you know, do, do, do you just get rid of the chaos all the time? Or do you, do you leverage it and use it uh, because you know it's always going to be around. Yeah. Uh, you know, because if you think about it, um, what we're doing right now is a little chaotic. You know, meaning we're having a conversation. We don't know where it can go. Yeah. It, it can go anywhere. It can be, you know, just we're just two guys talking some shit on the on the stuff, right? There's, but that chaos allows for like, hey, something positive can come out of it. You know, which I hope, you know, anybody that's watching yeah. get something positive. So, so, so the chaos is still important right yes. or it's needed yeah. so i would say to that all chaos isn't necessarily left-wing philosophy all left-wing philosophy leads to chaos so yeah there's good chaos and, and 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 of course you can't have everything structured in order because we have we all have free will and you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow so so yeah there's there's comfort almost in certain aspects of, of chaos and i don't know what you're going to ask me next um i could rip that out of your hand and see that would be chaotic but <laughs> but yeah I, chaos in itself is not always bad but the the chaos pushed by the left um is um so speaking of good chaos can we can you please uh get a little uh, get into a little bit about the event that you're going to host here at your, oh, at your beautiful home here. Speaking of chaos, we <laughs> talked about that last night, didn't we? Um, well, I'm going to put people in positions of power <laughs> the, to keep it organized and, and, and structured and, and make sure Carlos makes everyone uh, crunches the numbers. And uh, So the event will be in October. It's called Are You Live? Red, uh, Renegade University. Uh, yeah, yeah. Are You Live Texas? Right? Live Texas. And it's going to be here at my house in Lockhart, Texas. Right here. Right here. Uh, you guys will not be in here. The event is going to be outside. I've got to all the chaos it. outside. Yes, exactly. This is all order in here. And uh, so it will be Thaddeus Russell, of course, putting the whole thing on. Scott Horton, Deidre McCluskey, Jack the Perfume Nationalist. Uh, who else we got? Oh, Hotep Jesus. Yes. And of course, I will be here. Did I hit them all? I think you did. Scott Horton. Scott Horton. Scott yeah. Horton, obviously. Yeah, how did I forget Scott? So, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be Friday nights, the VIP. 
hangout, dinner, lounge. Uh, Saturday's the, the main body of the event. And then we're going to have some stuff on Sunday as well. It's, I can't remember the weekend. I should know that. The I think si- it's October 9th. Uh, that's, that's right. I should have wrote it. That's the yeah. 16th, 9th, or one of those. It's one of those. But it's not the 16th. I know that for a fact. That's my anniversary. Okay. And it is not that day. So then uh, probably they're not. But I, I'm going to put uh, information on it and uh, my link. We were talking about my link. And yeah. The, so Don't use mine. <laughs> no, my link. But uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we're excited. Uh, Paloma Verde is uh, sponsoring the event. So, so you know, we're excited and we'll, we'll be here. And, uh, and uh, Buck, uh, can you... Uh, for my audience, just uh, let people know how, where they can reach you, where they can see your show, where, where they can get into it, and, and uh, you know, so they can just know. Yeah, so if you listen to podcasts, you, can, you already know how to look them up. Just search Counterflow with Buck Johnson. Uh, we have a YouTube channel now that my guy Justin, his guy Justin, uh, is working on. So when I was doing Death to Tyrants, all the YouTube videos were just a still shot of the art image. And... When I switched to Counterflow, one of Thad's uh, generous tips, uh, which I think is very much uh, a good idea, is that we started putting all of the interviews on video. So on the YouTube channel now, every episode, you actually see me and the guest speaking. Of course, probably as this comes out, I, maybe my most recent episode will have been me with three people that couldn't show their faces because they need to be anonymous. You'll see why. Uh, but yeah, most of the interviews are on there, the YouTube channel. You can find me. Oh, you know what? We've got a new website that's also up and running. Counterflowpodcast.com. That's got my Twitter link, Instagram, the Facebook stuff, everything. It's got all the episodes and the new t-shirts that you can order are there on counterflowpodcast.com. And uh, find us in the Telegram group. If you're one of those weirdos like me that has the Telegram app, these secret communications, We've got a Counterflow podcast group there as well. Lots of exchanging of ideas, articles, videos, all kinds of things to keep you up uh, on the latest of what in the hell's going on in this chaotic world. Um, so once again, check out Buck, uh, follow him. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. I hope you enjoy the content. Uh, it was, it was, it's different to do it in person, but... Uh, if I was going to do it, you know, to do it with Buck like this, is, it's awesome. And thank you, uh, Brittany, and you, you know, for uh, opening up the house and, and Babe for helping with the, the video stuff and all that. And uh, salute, homie. Cheers. Peace.